to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. Okay, I'm here. That ought to be enough. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. It never is. <laughs> With us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I would love to be enough. <laughs> mm. We started off darker than normal on uh, <laughs> this episode of the podcast. Not going to lie to you folks. And uh, for, for the first little bit, it's not going to get any better because I have to declare... <laughs> A, okay, seriously, everybody out of the pool, that's enough. Emergency. <laughs> uh, it comes to us uh, courtesy of a couple of preaching clips that have been sent to us this week, mm-hmm. which is nobody ever sends us the uh, ones of like, this was a very good understated sermon. I thought they made a lot of lovely points in a, right. in a really coherent and short way, and now they're out. Uh, we'll drop the audio in here, but I already sent them to the fellows. So the first one comes from a uh, noted hair gel enthusiast, Stephen Furtick, <laughs> who uh, is, is preaching about something. That's why they had to take the uh, Old Town Road off of the uh, billboard charts on country music, because it was too different. They couldn't, they couldn't find a category for it. And they said, it's not country enough, but it's not rap enough. And we don't know what it is. It's different. That's why they crucified Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because he couldn't categorize him. Yeah, that's, um, well, that's, it, it's an, it, it's not exactly why. It, it may be <laughs> extremely, extremely vaguely analogous to sort of why, but not really. I would like some kind of uh, passion play when they screamed out, give us Barabbas. We understand his genre identification much more clearly. (laughs) (laughs) We don't care for this genre crossing situation. Crucify him. There's a weird desire for sometimes when people just, you know, get up in front of other folks to speak where it's like, I got to be so cute and amazing. And uh, with the yeah. illustrations and the thing, you could just say the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, what uh, Matt has done this week is he's touched a nerve because some of us work with pastors, and this is the kind of stuff that will drive you right up a tree <laughs> where you just you get with these fellows and you say, why? Why? What? Why do you know? And for some reason, quoting song lyrics is an extremely consistent thing they just are dying to do. Like this song captures the thought so well, I've got to, I've got to do it. And it's like, just like exactly like Lee said, just tell the people what the thing is. Well, I I happen to peer into the into the Facebook this week and, and noticed that Jed actually misquoted some lyrics and it was very edifying to me when he did so, when he quoted the eighties, uh, love ballad and said, I want to know when lunch is. Yeah. I want you to show me. I want to feel what lunch is. I know you can show me. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now that was very edifying to me. It wasn't in a sermon, but my thing is, if you're going to uh, roll song lyrics out on somebody, let's let it be about lunch and not about the crucifixion of Jesus. 
<laughs> right. So Lee, you're you're pushing for some sort of uh weird owl clause where if yes. you're willing to uh make a, a humorous play on some lyrics we all know and love, that that's fine. Totally fine. You know, guys, we've had a lot of fun here today talking about song lyrics about lunch. But you know who gave five thousand people lunch? Oh my gosh. <laughs> mm. How did wow. you ruin yes. your own bit? <laughs> I hate joy. <laughs> yes, what really makes it terrible is the sincerity. And that brings us to the second clip that came across my face this week, which is a gentleman who's got to be in his 50s, possibly older, at a, what looks to be kind of a smaller mega church, certainly not a smaller church, certainly not a Stephen Furtick level. And, uh, well, you're going to hear it, but he gives a very, very earnest um, lyric reading from the song Worth It by the pop group Fifth Harmony. <laughs> this peppy little song, it's sung by a group, I didn't know this, I looked it up this morning, called Fifth Harmony, and it's called I'm Worth It. The words are, I'm worth it. Give it to me, I'm worth it. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, give it to me, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Wow. The actual lyrics I read from Genius.com. Give it to me. I'm worth it, baby. I'm worth it. Uh-huh. I'm worth it. Gimme, gimme. <laughs> I'm worth it. And this is wow. what this gentleman proposes that our oh, Lord gosh. is saying. I don't know. I don't have the whole sermon. I don't know if he's saying that's like in the garden or something, but that's out there. Matt, quick point of clarification. In, in these song lyrics, what is it? <laughs> well, Jed, I don't really have time to go into... To literary theory and oh, and death gosh. of the author and I, I think it's probably salvation, right, fellas? <laughs> oh, well, I do have a the about section from the the genius dot com part of this from the oh, I assume the go. marketing material. Uh, it peaked at number twelve in the Billboard U.S. Billboard Hot 100, uh, and it says this: "Worth It" is the fourth track and third single off Fifth Harmony's debut album, Reflection. It's an urban pop song about hooking up with a man at the club while maintaining control. Ah. Oh. This genius page is one of the first three things that comes up when you Google this song. <laughs> well, this goes back to an old bit on our show, which is, uh, you gotta have Trevor. Dude. Yeah. We know that there's an effort here to appear cool and with it. And uh, I think we've learned an important lesson about letting that just sail over the horizon and just maybe concentrate on helping people with their spiritual condition. Because uh, this ain't it, my man. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm looking on the... I've, I've Googled Stephen Furtick here, and if you ever want just an amazing trip through a hip pastor... Uh, kind of a Pokemon evolution. Go and Google Stephen <laughs> Furtick and look at the, the Google image results. But I, I'm looking, I, I Googled this because I wanted oh, to look, gosh. and I found out that uh, uh, Mr. Furtick is 41 years old. And I don't know at what age you have to, you should not reference uh, TikTok meme songs in public, but I know 41 is older than that. Because <laughs> you probably don't know what that actually is. And even yeah. if you do, you don't want to broadcast that. So that's not great. Here's the other fun fact I've learned. Uh, Stephen's not his name. His legal name is Larry Stevens Furtick Jr. 
Larry. Okay. So think if you if you 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 all probably know who Stephen Furtick is. You've seen uh, weird quotes put over his image. You've seen things posted on the Facebook by your aunts and all that. Uh, I I just love the idea that at some point he sat down and said, "If I'm going to go this mega this uh hit mega church pastor thing, I can't be Larry Furtick anymore." <laughs> also, middle name not Stephen Stevens. Stevens. There's a lot going on here. I I like I like the idea that there's in the multiverse there's just a dude named Larry Stevens that, you know, he just works the 9 to 5 and he's, you know, every now and then tells people I was reading the scriptures the other day I got this gem. I don't know, maybe Yeah. Uh, you know, at at the at you know, at the coffee machine. Yeah. You That's know, nice. I, you know, Hey Ronald, I heard you've been going through some stuff. I just wanted you to know I've been praying for you. All right, I'm gonna go back to my desk now. Yeah, and like people say, you know that guy, you know he was always there for me when I really needed a a word <laughs> of encouragement. Right. Now you know Stephen Furtick. Yeah, you know, that's you know <laughs> he's apparently watching TikTok videos, but you know it's yeah, you know this is the thing is like. If you hear a song that really encapsulates something you're trying to communicate, that's great. But rather than just quote the song, you can just try and take the inspiration from the song and then say that rather than just uh, just doing the song, you know? But, Glenn, that would assume that you... Um... If you did that, it would. Ass- I would be assuming at that point that you care more about actually helping me with my problem who's sitting out in the in the congregation rather than you looking cool. Right. That's right. Well, it, let's also remind some of our, our listeners about the fad of showing the movie clips that <laughs> r- ran along the same lines of that, of just like this movie clip just perfectly encapsulates what the, or, or, you know, telling a story from the movie or what have you. You can just tell the people what they what it is you're trying to tell them. That's the thing you can do. My yeah. favorite movie clip story, and it is it was is indicative of one of the problems with the movie clip era. It was a very nice guy. He was uh, doing the talks at a at a Young Life <laughs> camp that I think Lee and I were both at. It was, I think it was nice late to, night. Oh, I'm not even thinking of that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, that one's bad. That one's way worse. But the one I'm thinking of it, it speaks to this point. Uh, we're at a young life camp and the, the guy's doing the talks and he wants to show a clip from the Denzel Washington movie where he's like the bodyguard for a little girl. Is it man oh, yeah. on fire? Whichever one it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the whole point is he, the, I guess the uh, spoiler move for spoiler alert for a movie that came out 20 years ago. Um, you'd be shocked. Uh, he's like, I guess he like sacrifices his life forever. to kidnap the girl and he's going to trade with the bad guys. He ends up shooting them all. Cause you know, do that. But you know, he says the phrase life for life. So, you know, pretty standard, you know, Jesus traded his life for your life. We don't need the movie clip. What we also right. don't need <laughs> is this guy realizing that this isolated two minutes of movie doesn't mean anything <laughs> if you don't know who these characters are <laughs> and how we got here. Therefore. He recounts the entire plot of this movie <laughs> to set up this clip. All right. And this could be projection, but I feel like about in the middle of the second act, he realized that this was still a bad idea, but just 
he was in too deep at that point. Right, that's right. I'm committed now. <laughs> yeah, like I already got you up to the uh, you know, the the point of the point of no return in act 2. I really need to push through this. Like Matt, I've I've thought of something that can help you with the problem you're having in your life. It kind of reminded, reminded me of this thing that happens on page 746 of Dune. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about those previous 746 pages of Dune <laughs> just so I can get to this thing that vaguely reminded me of that thing that might help you. Yeah, and the the thing is like the Bible also talks about spices. <laughs> very very important. But this brings me to to an important question and I think it's one that uh my three co-hosts are uh uniquely uh qualified to to uh address and that is what is what are the worst slash funniest lyrics a pastor could quote in earnest oh. white pastor voice to uh, really try to make something go? Wow. Because uh, give it to me, I'm worth it is pretty bad. It's got the double entendre. It's got the fact that it's kind of a cheesy 2015 urban pop song that he's doing like it was a, a staged reading of Macbeth. There's a lot to... <laughs> to recommend that, but I'm wondering if we can come up with anything better and by better, I mean much, much worse. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, you know, if you can somehow remain within hailing distance of theologically sound, that's, that's the bonus points there. Yeah. I, I really, this is, I mean, the very first thing that happened inside my brain when you issued this challenge, Matt was, Led Zeppelin's whole lot of love, but I'm not going to read the lyrics. I'm not going to say them. I I don't think there's a single verse line of that you could read that would be. No. Yeah, any Led Zeppelin lyrics, like maybe the <laughs> ones that are about like Lord of the Rings battles, maybe. Guys, let's, you know what, we're just going to bring the lights down for a second. Mm. And as, <laughs> as the band comes back to take the stage, I just, I want to challenge you in this moment today, this morning, you're, you're here. Baby, you need cooling. Well, maybe I'm, I'm not fooling, and God's not fooling today. That's right. I'm going to send you, and, and I want you to know today that, that God is sending you back to schooling. <laughs> uh, way down inside, and you need it. You know that you need it. Honey, you know that you need it. That's why you're here today. I'm going to give you my love. And that's why all of us are here at this at, uh, Family Faith Community Center today is to give you our love. That, that's, that's why we're here. That's, we, we serve a God that is here to give you his love. We're going to give you our love. That's, that's, that's what we're here today. And you've been learning that. You've been learning about a whole lot of love. <laughs> about a whole lot of love. Let's pray. <laughs> yeah, and let us, because, again, the, the main rule in this show, the emergency ends when we're not going to top that joke. And we're not yep. topping that one. So we yeah. are going to declare... <laughs> emergency off yeah that um if you have the if you're in a place you know you're not driving you're not you can safely google the uh the lyrics a whole lot of love or you know them by heart uh play play a fun game with yourself to uh how close jed got to disaster (laughs) what the lyrics coming up were that's that's good stuff um what's never what's not close to disaster what comes out uh regularly and uh, in good order with if any of our, our preachers go ahead and uh, do the 
the dramatic reading of song lyrics. And as uh, Glenn pointed out at the bridge, sometimes, oh, how they try. Uh-huh. But we don't let that make the final cut of the bridge cast because you, you don't have time for that. And we're really trying to uh, really trying to disincentivize certain things with that. So you can check out our bridge cast. It comes out at 7 p.m. Central Time every single Sunday at Facebook.com slash Bridge Chicago. Or you can check it out whenever is convenient for you. They're all archived over there. Gets uh, the worship, uh, the main sermon from our staff member, and some snippets from some other great sermons, all sorts of good stuff on that BridgeCast in a very easily digestible format. If you can't be with us in Chicago on Tuesday nights, it is the next best thing. You can also check out BridgeBox at missionusa.com slash BridgeBox. Get some positive, encouraging stuff into your inbox the first of every month. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way until the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question this week comes in and says, Things are going well, and I'm glad. But at the same time, I'm nervous. And I feel like I can't really trust this process or trust myself with it. What do I do? And a very, very uh, cool question. And Jed, where would we kick it off? Well, weirdly, we're going to begin with a surprisingly insightful question that comes from a of ages past, but a very popular televangelist. But the the quote in the question is, what would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? This is a great question. You should think about this question. What would you attempt if you knew you could not fail? The reason why this question is important is most of us are so afraid of failing we don't ever bother to plan for what we would do if we succeeded. Mm. And if you don't have any plan in place for what to do, if stuff works, um, you probably will screw it up. That's just how life works. Like if you've got someone that you've been thinking desperately of, you know, um, I, I really want to ask this person out, but, but golly gee, I don't know. And besides and so forth, like if you have no plan of what comes after, yes, uh, that'd be you know a little embarrassing. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you want to hang out sometime? Yes, that would be lovely. And then you just shriek and run in the opposite direction. Like I mean, we don't we got to we got to plan for success at least a little bit enough that we know what would happen next. So I'm gonna take you back again to the televangelist quote, which again it's weird, but it's a really good question. What would you attempt if you knew that you could not fail? For you, what would your plan look like if you were certain that your success was secure? If you are certain that the success that you are currently experiencing, and you said things are going well, if you could have 100% confidence that things will still be going well a year from now, what would your plan look like? What would you do? Because both in life, but also kind of in, in Christianity specifically, we're meant to steward success. We're meant to, to take the, the good times that we're given and do something with them. We're, we're meant to take the success and the going well that we have and, and do something with it. Uh, that, that doesn't have to be like a big thing in the eyes of the world, and it doesn't have to be something that sounds really spiritual. But being intentional with the things that we're given is a godly thing. And if you're being given a season of success, I think you should be intentional with what you do with it. And so, again, that is going to kind of necessarily start with looking at – what would I do? What would my plan be if I could be really, really confident that a year from now things would still be going pretty well? Now, once you do that, the next question is we're going to return to the negativity. What are the top things that could actually mess you up? 
One of the weird things about being afraid of the other shoe dropping is that we don't often rate things on how likely they are. And we definitely need to get in the habit of doing that. What are the likely things to mess you up? Not all the things that could happen. Yes, a meteor could descend from the sky and then all of your work is for naught, but that's not very likely. What are the likely things to mess you up? Because for anybody in any pursuit, there's always stuff that is, you know, the the likely problems. And then the last question is, are you mitigating those risks? Do you know how to, you can't keep bad things from happening, but do you know how to lessen the likelihood of those bad things happening? Do you know how to lessen their impact if they do happen? If you're planning for success, if you're aware of the things that could actually mess you up and you are working to, again, mitigate and lower those risks and those impacts, you're doing amazing. You not only are you doing well, you have every reason for confidence. And that's the thing that we want for you. We, we don't just want you to do well. We want you to have peace and confidence in the midst of doing well, both so that you can continue to grow in it and that you can enjoy it. Enjoyment matters. God wants it for you. We want it for you. And I believe those are the steps to how you get there. That's a fantastic place to start off. Glenn, where do we take things from there? Well, I agree with all of that. I, I think uh, success is one of those things that can can really get in our heads. I mean, it, it there is a point of, you know, I, I exactly as as Jed's alluded to there, this idea of, I think I can handle it. I I can't handle failure, but if I have success, I'll you know there 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 won't be anything to manage. It will just be happiness and that sort of thing. Uh, and that turns out to not be the case. So maybe it's better to just not think of this as success. In fact, to not think in terms of success and failure. Uh, think of it as a as a as a system that needs to be uh, continuously upgraded and improved and what have you. You know, there's there's an operating system on your computer and. You get upgrades because, you know, the needs change and um, there are ways to improve it and people are working on that and debugging things and so forth. Why not see your life in the same sort of way with that idea that uh, I need to make improvements. I am uh, improving some of those things. It's going well. I feel good about that. But there's lots of other stuff that needs work. And so I want to have a nice momentum of of solving problems and dealing with issues. And that gives me a nice confidence that I can tackle whatever comes next. And so if I see that as a series of challenges and uh, challenges that I'm in the process of already overcoming, it's pretty easy to be in balance about that and not be freaked out about it. So if I think if you I think if you see it in that way, it gets you to a place where you can accept that you are making improvements and that that's good stuff and whatever. So you can receive that. And then it also gets you thinking in terms of building on the success that you've already had rather than thinking, how do I keep this streak going? That, that to me, that's very destructive thinking. It's, you know, uh, if, if I preach a good sermon, I can't go back the next week and say, I need to top that. That's not, really the right way to look at it. I need to think in terms of, I did certain things right with that last sermon or, you know, with the last thing that I did for work or whatever else it is. So I want to figure out what did I do right there and how can I 
turn that into a repeatable repeatable process and then improve upon that so so that I ingrain that in what I'm doing. Uh, so I think that's that's more the right direction for a, a, a healthy spiritual balance to this. Uh, I think the final thing I'd say on that is mistakes are certain. You know, we we need to have it hardwired into what we're doing, how we see ourselves, how we see what's moving forward. That mistakes will be inevitable. I mean, we were just talking about all the different things that pastors do wrong with their sermon examples. Part of the reason why we're we're having such strong reactions to that is we've all done those things and you know had the painful memories of being you know halfway into the world's longest analogy and realize there's no way out and you know whatever we don't want to see other people go through those same mistakes. Failure is part of life, and you need to accept that and and recognize that that's not something to be feared. Uh, it, it it's an inevitable part of the process. But learning from mistakes is not inevitable. It is not certain. Right. It is not yeah, yeah. hardwired. If you learn from every mistake that you make, if you can find a way to to examine those failures as well as the successes, both, and learn from both of those things, then you're in a constant state of improvement. You're not riding the roller coaster up and down from day to day on how the performance is today, you're seeing a big picture of constant improvement as God gives you wisdom as you uh, examine fearlessly uh, what's going on with these processes that are driving this. That's excellent, excellent stuff there. And Lee, where do we close this out? Well, you've heard a lot of great stuff already. And, and you know, I think the only thing that I would add to it, I'm actually going to come in on the tail end of the the last thing that Jed said and the last thing that Glenn said. The last thing that that Jed said right before he ended his response was that enjoying this matters, and um, and that's a really really important thing to 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 t- to spend a, a little more time on. And um and and then Glenn Glenn closed out by talking about learning. So I want to talk about both of those things: enjoying and learning. Um, there is there's just kind of this thing in Christian culture that's, it's so weird. It's like, if you're doing, definitely the Christian culture that I grew up in, it's like, if you're doing bad, then that's probably because you deserved it in some way, because you have some secret sin in your life. And that, you know, that everybody knows is, is, you know, sexual sin or whatever. It's like, that's the whole thing. If, if things are going poorly, you have secret sin in your life. If things are going well, then we don't want to enjoy that too much either because you don't want to get prideful. Um, and so let's, it, it's, it's almost like you have to walk this tightrope of like, I don't want to get in trouble with God in any way. And so I have to constantly be monitoring. Um, am I, you know, am I uh, poor in spirit enough or whatever? And what I would say is if you're having a good season, celebrate that, enjoy it. We talk a lot on this show about getting good at celebrating victories and, you know, splicing up the things in your life so that you can recognize these were my goals and, and making those goals achievable enough to where you have a chance to celebrate. I set this goal and I achieved this thing and that's good. And that makes me feel positive about the direction I'm heading in. You're not bad or in trouble for, for enjoying this. And, and I really like where Jed ended off on that, that 
that that enjoying this matters. And that, by the way, God wants you to enjoy things. <laughs> God, Amen. God wants you to uh, enjoy your life. Um, Jesus, in his prayer for his disciples, said, I want them to experience the joy that I have in you, Father, and I want them to have that same joy in them. He wants you to enjoy things. He, he, he wants you to celebrate your victories. He wants you to feel good about yourself in, in the midst of that. And if you can balance some intentional gratitude over the good things that you have in your life with the willingness to learn, to continue to learn, even to learn from the victories. All right, what did we learn off that? One of the things that I think is super important is the Lord has wisdom for you about all kinds of things in your life. And sure, when you fall down and you screw up, there, exactly as Glenn said, there's going to be some things that you need to learn off that. And the same is true for when you win. And when you are in a good season, in a positive yeah. season, that there's some stuff that he wants you to recognize, like, hey, doesn't this feel good? This feels good because I was nudging you toward this thing, and you picked up on that, and you followed me on that, and now we're in this place. And I, I want you to, to feel this pat on the back, and I want you to recognize that when you and I work together, cool stuff can happen. Um, there is... There is learning that can happen from the mistakes. There is learning that can happen from failures. There is learning that can happen from victories. I want you to, to relax, to take the pressure off because you're saying, I feel nervous about the success. I want you to get to a place where you can say, I'm enjoying the success and I'm thankful to the Lord for the place that I'm in. I'm grateful on purpose and I'm learning some stuff from these victories, some stuff that, that hopefully I can turn into more and more victories. You know, not necessarily like I'm going to foolproof my life so that all I have is success. Exactly as Glenn said, mistakes are inevitable and fall, you know, failure is inevitable and just difficult situations are inevitable. But enjoy this. Relax. God wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to celebrate your victories and he wants you to even learn from them so that we can walk forward into more and more of this stuff. That is a really great place to land that. All of the stuff those guys gave you on that is great. We're going to move on to our next question here. It says, I like Christmas. I always have. I like the decorations and the music and getting gifts for people. When people talk about how all that stuff is superficial or misses the real meaning, it bothers me. Am I really missing something if I like the usual, stereotypical Christmassy stuff? And a, a very cool question. And Glenn, where do we start off here? Well, uh, let me start off with this. Uh, if you're if you're looking for the perspective of that guy that's a full on bah humbug, can't stand Christmas, can't wait for it to be over, with the decorations and the things, there, I am that guy. And as that guy, I am telling you, you should rock on and love Christmas. <laughs> With all of your heart, yeah. do it. Do not listen to me or anybody else. You just do you. If it makes you happy, if it's if it reminds you of the birth of Christ, if it if you just enjoy having people over and giving gifts and the fellowship of that and the love of that and just having a special time for that, and you've got kids and kids are so excited with the thing with the toys and all that. You should be enjoying that, and you shouldn't listen to anybody else. And and I I I I I think it's really important you get that message off of what we're saying here. 
I think you're also making a very important point about these people who are saying, oh, you know, all the music and the gifts and the decorations, it's all superficial. And um, I, I think you're right to point out that that's bogus. I mean, you know, I think what it's really true, I think there are some people who say, well, you know, um, I, I, you don't seem that interested in other Christian things. Uh, and you don't seem interested in going to church all the rest of the year. So, like, don't expect us to think you're cool just because you want to dabble in it because it's Christmas, that kind of thing. Here's the thing. I think God loves dabblers. I think he loves them a lot. I also think you get into everything that you've ever been into by beginning with a dabble in it. <laughs> uh, I think it's an immature understanding of how we actually come to a life of faith to think that you go from zero to full belief in anything. Uh, we dabble. We 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 go to the Christmas cantata, and it's music, and it's th- a thing, whatever. But you kind of see there's some fellowship here, and these people bond with one another. And you think maybe, maybe I'd like for my life to look more like this, and so forth. That's great. I, I fully celebrate the idea of people dabbling in anything spiritual that I'm putting out there and just thinking about it and, you know, maybe putting it to the side and fooling with it later. And that's great. I, I don't see any problems with that. And so I think you're absolutely right to point that that out and, and call that on the carpet. I, I think that's actually an evil attitude that I don't. I don't uh, agree with uh, that you're not allowed to dabble in things. Uh, But final point, and I think it is worth pointing out that uh, there are people, uh, uh, I am one of them that that grew up in a bit of a dysfunctional family and that Christmas is not a happy memory for me. And so to a certain extent, part of the Christmas thing is it's great, it's great, it's great. We're all having fun. It's great. Christmas is great. and you know it's irrational, but there's some part of your brain that's saying there's something wrong with you if you don't think it's great. There's something wrong with your family or your life or whatever if if Christmas wasn't great for you. We're all having a great time. You're the weird one on the outs that, that you know, never had a great Christmas or something like that. It might be similar to uh, people who didn't have a good relationship with their mother you know, Mother's Day is not a fun day for them. And, you know, I think the way that you should look at that is if you have a great mom, celebrating Mother's Day ought to be mandatory and exciting and thrilling, and you ought to get into it, and you ought to be excited about it. Um, But I think there ought to be an understanding if, if somebody grew up with a deeply dysfunctional mom that they can't be into that with you. Uh, but that shouldn't in any way diminish your enjoyment and your participation in those things. You can be understanding of people uh, who aren't into it with you. But I think if the number one Bahamba guy in the room says go for it, you should go for it. Indeed, we can only hope that Glenn is not visited by any spirits to change his mind because, uh, you know, that doesn't always go that well. Uh, but uh, a really cool place to start that off. And Lee, where do we go from there? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to come in on a very similar note here. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll use kind of another angle to talk about it. And um, 
to kind of come in on this. I was talking to my wife the other day, and she was she was talking with me about our son, who's 13 years old. And she said, you know, I don't care anything about anime and the the different kinds of uh the fighting stances and the 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 different you know words in Japanese that mean different things. She said, but I will sit there and listen to that 13-year-old boy <coughs> tell me all about it as much as he wants to because I love him and I want to be friends with him. And um and the thing that I loved about that conversation with Christy was her heart was for the guy and she's like he can love whatever he wants to love and because I love him I'm going to dive into that fully with him. I want you to imagine um that just that the heart of Jesus is like that for you but like dialed up as as hard as you can dial that up like dialed up to 11. He made you as an individual and he he made you with with tastes and affections. And the thing that you need to know about him is he likes you like that. He likes that you like the things that you do, that you get a kick out of the things that you get a kick out of. If you like the funky sweaters and the, and the movies and the cookies and the whatever the thing is, I would dial it up so far that you take it to this thought, which this is the thought I want you to operate in. I, 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 I can agree completely with Glenn. I think you should rock Christmas. And I think you should add this to it. Anything about Christmas that just makes you happy and makes you, gives you, you know, joy and all that kind of stuff and just really does it for you as far as Christmas. I want you to intentionally imagine that as an actual gift from Jesus to you. So if you love a certain Christmassy movie and you're watching it this season and it just makes you happy to watch it, I want you to imagine that he is saying to you, Merry Christmas, I know you love this movie. This moment is a gift wrap from me to you. The thing about this is, is that he loves you and he wants you. I'm kind of hitting a similar note to what we talked about in the last question. He wants you to enjoy things in your life. Um, by the way, if, if there's anybody that doesn't believe me on this, check out a book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes, and it completely corroborates everything that I'm trying to, to say with this question, which is that God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to enjoy things. He loves joy. He loves you. And if you're into Christmas, then he says, go for the Christmas. And not only that, I want you to receive the things that you love about this as a gift for me. The other thing that I would say on this is there is just kind of to, to ultra, you know, because people want to diffuse your joy and take away your joy here by, um, by saying, you know, uh, Christmas is whatever it is. It's, it's commercial, it's sentimental, it's, it's the marketing companies having a play, whatever it is. I would kind of over Jesus juke that by saying one of the most important motifs in scripture is the role of remembering. And um, that like what, you cannot escape this. When you go through scripture, the, the people of God are constantly, constantly going back and telling their story again, constantly talking about 
the day the Lord split the Red Sea and set us free from, you know, from, from bondage, all that kind of stuff. They're constantly going over their story because they're, part of their job was to remember. They remember it in stories. They remember it in songs. They remember it in their liturgy. Like, m- memory is a big, big deal. What one person calls commercial, and I'm going to pick up on something that Glenn said in his response, if it reminds you of Jesus, if it touches that part of your heartstrings that, that where your love for Jesus lives, then it is not commercial for you. It is a critical part of you saying, hey, the, the, the trappings of this season that other people see as, you know, whatever, just commercial or, you know, worldly or whatever, they draw me to him. And they remind me of him. They remind me that he came. They, that, that all of that stuff is important. Man, I, I say don't let people step on your joy and, and rock that thing out and realize that there's a whole huge part of this that one person could see as, as you know, overly sentimental or commercial or whatever, that for you is literally, this is a connection point between you and Jesus. And I would say you need to intentionally thank him for that and go for it. That's really, really great stuff. And Jed, where would we close this out? Well, you're being accused of being superficial and superfluous. So we're going to actually read a Bible story today. This is from the book of John, chapter 2. You almost certainly heard this story before, but I think it's worth us reviewing it together with fresh eyes. This is Jesus' first miracle. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Nearby stood six stone water jars, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Then he called the groom aside and said, hey, uh, everybody brings out the best wine first and then the cheaper stuff after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till last. Now, here's why that matters. What could possibly be more superficial and superfluous than supplying bonus wine to already drunk people at a party? (laughs) I I, I want you to think about that. And the good stuff, Jed. And the good stuff. Of all the problems that the world faces, you supplied bonus wine to already drunk people at a party. Which, Jed, I've done the math on this before. It's 600 bottles of wine. 600 bottles of wine. That's how Jesus rolls into a party. Apparently, that's how Jesus gets it done. And and it's worth noting, saving the good stuff to the last, the idea of, of the guy running the party of like, you know, normally they save cheap stuff for last or people don't really care. Do you know how, how much you have had to drink to not notice anymore? I mean, <laughs> you've been going at it. All right. Here's the thing. This is, I think by most human metrics, this is about as superficial and superfluous as it gets. And this is how Jesus begins to make it clear that he is something more than just a wise teacher. I think there's a lot of meaning in the story of the water and the wine at the wedding in Cana and Galilee. But one of the takeaways is what you've already heard, which is God cares about your sense of delight. Yeah. God cares about your sense of delight. Given that, you should enjoy it, you should treasure it, and you should safeguard it, man. Uh, we, when we were kids, a lot of us sang a song about uh, this little light of mine. I'm not going to let the devil f- it out. There's a lot of people that want to blow out your light, man. 
There's a lot of people that want to extinguish your light and your joy. And I want to encourage you to, to fight back on that. And one of the things that's going to be really important in that journey is the following realization. You don't need to defend yourself against crappy comments just because they're religious in nature. Why don't you think about that for a second? If somebody rolled up to you on the street and said, your t-shirt's stupid, I don't think you would feel like you need to defend yourself against them because that guy's just a jerk. You'd be like, whatever, dude, and move on with your life. But there's something about, hey, brother, the Lord just put it on my heart. I was just reading the scriptures earlier today, and I just... I, you know, I just feel a burden to tell you that your shirt is really stupid. <laughs> Where we feel like, well, I, I mean, maybe, like he wouldn't say if it wasn't true. Maybe I, maybe I need to search my heart. Maybe I need to search the scriptures for myself. Maybe Jesus does think my t-shirt is stupid. And this is what we call a scam. The fact that someone is saying something mean and unkind and baseless, but they're using Jesus-y words somewhere in there, doesn't make it less of a baseless, scammy, crappy thing to say. I know this isn't fun, and I don't want to do it, and I don't want you to have to do it, and nevertheless, it is the world in which we live. We need to discipline ourselves to evaluate what people are saying to us and ask, is this just what a jerk would say? And if it is, let it go without trying to defend ourselves against it. It doesn't matter if they used religious language or not. Moving forward, don't feed the trolls and don't tango with jerks. There's nothing to be gained from it. There's literally no good outcome. In fact, be festive at them. Literally, if someone says, yeah, your t-shirt's pretty stupid, wear that shirt every day. Buy them them that shirt. Decorate your house with that shirt. If they say that Christmas is bad, be the most Christmassy guy. Be Buddy the Elf. Live it like that. If Jesus did 600 bottles of first growth Bordeaux, you should be Buddy the Elf. Do it, man. Live it out and let them choke on it. Deck the halls with boughs of spite. Fa la 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 la. La 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 la. <laughs> and an excellent, excellent point. And I, I, I want to add one more layer to this, which is there's certainly the um the the stuff these guys have talked about is great. I want to I want to take one more pass through. People say it's superficial and it misses the real meaning of Christmas. And I want to I want to reference something that that Lee said which I think is a, is actually a very, very underrated and under misunderstood aspect of not only Christmas, but kind of uh, Christian stuff in general, even by church people, is Lee talked about how big the Christmas thing is in Christianity. The incarnation is beyond our ability yeah. to understand or celebrate or boil down. And here's the thing, the people who are trying to be weird gatekeeping hipsters about it are doing that the most. Uh, we, we, I've, we've often used an analogy on this show of if there's three people in a room and one person, let's say makes a song and person two, who may be a young woman, let's say says, I like that song. And person three says, you're dumb to like that song and you're dumb to have, and you are dumb to have made it. There's only one jerk in this room. <laughs> yep. Not the person who made the thing, not the person who likes the thing. It's the person who's telling other people how to like things. Right. And a lot of that gets done with Christmas. I think there's this weird thing that, that Christianity does not have that the other Abrahamic religions and a lot of other religions have, which is in Christianity, there aren't any, there aren't actually any holidays like in the scriptures. 
It's not like the Old Testament where it says, this is how you remember this. This is how you, right. this, this uh, uh, thing we do at the end of the year for the Atonement of Sins is actually more important than this Feast of Tents. So prioritize them this way. And this is a, this one isn't even in some of the books, but it's in this one. It all just kind of happens. You get to decide what's more important to you, as, as Lee said. And if Christmas is great because you, you use it to ponder the mysteries of the incarnation and the, the depth and amazingness of God's plan to, to do things through the lowly and bring the, that's, that's great. If you also want to sing some carols and be with your family and enjoy the lights, that's also great. It's super, not a competition. And, uh, Lee has often said, and it's a, it's a great, uh, point of don't let people just tell you that you're losing a race. You didn't agree to run. Mm-hmm. It's if someone wants to spend their Christmas going to the soup kitchen and the really hardcore soup kitchen that only lets orphans in and that's just how they do it and they make the soup by hand, that's great. I, I don't progress on that at all. That's that's a wonderful thing to do. It doesn't mean they understand the incarnation or what uh, it meant for the Lord to come to earth any more than you do because anybody's ability to understand, to fully grasp, to get their mind and their heart around that is super limited. So somebody may be doing their best. They may see one part of that huge thing. You may see one other part of that huge thing. That's all great. And as these guys have pointed out, if it comes from a place of sincerity, if it comes from a place of, of joy and, you know, connection and letting you get close to the Lord, don't let anybody make you feel bad about that. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I was recently the recipient of unsolicited advice. It was more opinion than advice, I guess. The person commented on something I certainly didn't ask them about. The comment started, I know you didn't ask me, but, and didn't even tell them about directly. It's clear that they were trying to be positive and encouraging, so it feels weird to say something, but it still made me feel really uncomfortable. How do I handle being on the receiving end of unsolicited advice? And another really cool question, and Lee, where would we kick off here? Yeah, I, I I do think some details on this matter. I mean, I, I wonder if and, and Matt, I don't know if I read it correctly. Do we know for for a fact this was a comment like on an online platform? Or is this a conversation, or or is that unclear? I don't know. Uh, they use the term comment and it's in quotation marks. So I, oh, okay, I think I jumped to spoken, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, and so I th- I think some details on that matter. Like if it's a if it was like a comment dropped on an like some kind of online platform, like a post or something like that, and you have the ability to manage comments, I'm telling you right now, I would just delete the comment um, and just not give it any air. Jed ended his response, his last response with don't feed the trolls. And another line that I hadn't heard before, which I really love, and I'm going to uh, onboard, which is don't tango with, what what was it? Don't tango with jerks. You got it, baby. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the Argentinian version. Ah, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was lovely. Well, um, and so that's one of the things is, you know, you say in your in your question, I know that this person was trying to be helpful and, cur- and encouraging. And the only pushback I would have right there is we don't actually know that. I, I do know quite a few people who tend to give unsolicited advice. I don't know that helpful and encouraging is always their motivation off that. And and there's a thing that can happen when you assume that everybody has a point and everybody is nice and everybody always, you know, everybody always has your best interests at heart and everybody's trying to be helpful and encouraging. Uh, yeah, they're really not. Uh, some people are really, really not trying to be those people. 
some people want the some people want the mic, man. They they want the microphone and they want to be heard. Some people show up when people are having a hard time and they want to be the person that helped everybody. Um, they they want their advice to be heeded. They want their they, they some people want that, man. They 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 don't have a point to be encouraging. They want to be the person that gets listened to. Um, one thing that's funny about this, if it was kind of a like a like we were in a conversation and somebody rolled up on you and said, I know you didn't ask, but like the funny thing is, is that if they gave you their unsolicited advice and then you said to them, you're right, I didn't ask. If you said those words right there, they would probably look at you like with a shocked look on their face like, oh, wow, I can't believe you responded that way. Even though their thing was as rude like all you're doing is like in tennis if somebody hits a hard baseline shot like you have to hit that shot back in order to keep the ball in play you have to hit with that same kind of force you can't hit a different shot right there um and and if you were to answer with that exact same thing they would probably look at you like you had been really rude but i'm telling you sometimes you just have to let people know what the deal is um, I would not always assume that everybody has your best interest at heart and everybody's lovely and everybody has a point and all of that stuff. And, and especially when, when somebody's giving you a thing that makes you uncomfortable, you have a right to say to them like, Hey, um, not for nothing, but I didn't really invite you into this space. And so I like, we're not having this conversation. Um, you get to, you get to draw those boundaries. You get to say those things. You know, you might not want to be as cheeky as my initial comment of like, you're right. I didn't ask you. That's, that's a little cheeky, but, but, but it's fun hey, to think about, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm just putting it out there as a plausible, possible, possible response. Look, some people, and this is a really, this is a thing that I probably didn't believe until I had more experience in my life. Um, some people just want oxygen. They just do. And you do not have to give it to everybody. Not everybody has a point. Not everybody has great advice. Not everybody has everybody's best interests at heart. I'm not telling you to go around judging, every, uh, judging people, but if somebody rolls up on you and starts giving you unsolicited advice, and especially if it makes you feel uncomfortable, you have the right to, to speak back into that space and say, Hey, I really, really didn't ask you. Um, I, I, my hope there is, you know, not to turn you into a person that you aren't. Um, you should respond in a way that that fits your tone and your personality. But I do want to stress the fact that you do have the right to have that conversation. When somebody comes at you boldly like this with that kind of rudeness, sometimes you have to hit the same shot back, and you have the right to do that. I think that's a really, really fantastic place to start this off. And Jed, where would we pick things up there? The thing I would really encourage you to, to look at is to ask yourself what your desired outcome looks like. Like, there are a lot of different places you could want to go from here. And Lee's absolutely right. You know, the, the details of this really do matter quite a little bit. But kind of regardless of the situation's details, what is the outcome that you want to see happen? Do, do you want to feel a sense of, of justice for the discomfort that you've experienced? Do you want to be understood? 
Do you just want to ensure this doesn't happen again? Because those are all three of those are a little bit different outcomes. And depending on which one you most care about, you're going to tailor your response to that. And that's fine. That, that's healthy. That's, that's how life should work. The other question that goes right along with it that I, I really want to encourage you to think about is what level of investment is this worth? Hmm. I think one of the things that's interesting, we talk on this show a lot about setting boundaries. And as a part of that, we talk a lot about confrontation. And those are both really necessary skills for a healthy life. It, it's going to be very, very hard for any of us to have a healthy life that we feel good about um, if we are not able to confront people when the need arises, if we're not able to set boundaries when the need arises. But one of the interesting things that happens on the other side of, of knowing that you can set boundaries when you need to, that you can confront people when you need to, is you start to get in a place of recognizing that that takes a fair amount of work and it takes a fair amount of energy. And so I kind of need to do a gut check of, is this worth it? Is it worth it for me to do the full work of boundary setting and perhaps confrontation? Because some of the times it's not. And maintenance of those boundaries. Exactly right. That's a lot of work too. Exactly right. I I think that there are moments where someone does or says something pretty inadvisable. And if we really do the math about what's best for us and the kind of level of investment we're prepared to make, the smartest answer may just be, Okay, and that's it. And I think that there's a temptation to think, well, am I enabling them in their bad behavior? Am I the no, you're doing what works best for you. That's fine. If this, for example, were to become a pattern, then you would almost certainly be looking at a more involved response that would almost certainly include boundaries and perhaps confrontation. But if you're looking at a a one time situation of someone being I don't even know what, but, you know, kind of, you know, toxically encouraging. Um, And you're just in a place like, dude, it's the middle of a pandemic. I'm exhausted. The world's on fire. I just don't have the time or energy to to put towards this. It's if it was an electronic thing, it's fine to ignore it uh, or delete it. If if it's an in-person thing, it's fine. But okay, Um, you, you actually don't owe a response beyond that unless that meets your desired outcome. Again, justice for the discomfort, a desire to be understood, a desire for it to not happen again. But I think the key thing is actually, in a sense, is to give yourself permission to be selfish, to figure out what works for you, what's going to make you feel better, not just five minutes from now, but five weeks from now, what's going to be a good use of your time and your energy. Um, you don't you don't owe this person a response. You don't owe them a good response. You don't owe them a bad response. You you actually don't owe them anything. So I think giving yourself permission to figure out what works for you in a holistic way and then going with that, that's what I would encourage you to look at and to think about. Uh, Another great, great place to take that. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, you know, I, I think both of these guys have really got me, you know, exploring the possibilities in my mind because I, 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 I want to get on what Lee was talking about. Uh, we You're saying that, you know, that this is positive and encouraging and I, I and Jed used the word uh, toxic encouragement, which it sounds <laughs> kind of 
odd, but I think I have a, a solid sense of that in in that I think there are times when people are trying to say something about your situation that is corrective, and we might be tempted to think then it's a positive and encouraging thing because it's trying to point itself to a good outcome. But if you're being corrective with someone, you're implying you are doing it wrong. You need to do it a different way. That's not positive, really. That's not encouraging, really. It is toxic, as Judd's pointing out there. So I think if it's a... And and that is giving advice that's not solicited. So that, that ticks all of those boxes. So if it's something in that nature... I I think it's it's right to treat this as I didn't ask for this because you're you're trying to tell me what to do different to solve my problem here kind of thing. That's not being positive. You you don't get to hide behind that in sort of a passive aggressive sort of way. Uh I think the only thing that you can do in that situation is to listen to the Lord. And if I'm saying that's the right thing for me to do on my side, then you on the person if you're in the receiving end of things the right thing for you to do is to ask the lord did this person pray about what they just told me this amazing advice or whatever it is or this comment that was trying to be positive uh, because that's what i would have done if he if he you know if, if i if i'd spoken up and said dude i love you it doesn't matter i know that you're gay whatever if he if he doesn't tell me i would be saying that with a positive intent but I may or may not be listening to Lord uh, to the Lord about you know just blurting that out. So it's right for you to be able to go to the Lord and say, are these people who are telling me all these things are are they really coming from the Lord? You know, they somebody might see that you're single and they might come up to you and say, hey, don't let that bother you. I know that at times you're probably feeling lonely. So were they like, oh, you, you don't know that. And you know, you're kind of, you know, there's, you're making assumptions here and you're trying to say something positive, but it's also a little weird and not super welcome and whatever. The, those are things that you can take in your stride and, and say, well, you know, they're just trying to be positive. That's one thing. But when you feel like someone's saying something that's really, not their place to say, mm. and they're stepping over that line, and you go to the Lord and say, "Is any of this really coming from you, or you know, is this is this the kind of thing you nudged on?" I think that gives you permission to set that boundary with them and say, "You know, uh, I, I didn't talk to you about it, and that's because I don't want us to have this conversation <laughs> about it." So I love you, but you know, why don't you, why don't we let this one go? It's great stuff from all these guys. Um, I, I want to just real quick tack on the end. Um, I think the the toxic positivity stuff, the stuff uh, Lee gave you about, is this really positive, um, is really, really important and worth exploring because there are some people who get it in their mind that they can really cross any boundary and butt themselves into anything as long as they're saying something nice. Mm-hmm. And the thing might be legitimately nice. But, you right. know, you mentioned the question, like, you know, they're, they're trying to be positive, so it feels weird to say something, but it still made me uncomfortable. And one of the things I think people can get into is, well, is it weird that I felt uncomfortable for someone saying something nice? Is that something about me? But that can still be an overstep. Right. You know, if if someone came up to you and said, you know, I noticed you've lost a lot of weight, and I think it's super. 
you should not say that to other people. That is not a thing to say, to comment on someone's, if it's just, you know, a casual acquaintance, you don't go up to your coworker or, you know, a friend of a friend and comment on their body. That's, that's insane. (laughs) That's the fact that it's nice does not make that their place to say. And if I, if I could guess, I would think that maybe part of what you're feeling here is that someone just decided it was their place to comment on your life. And that is certainly an uncomfortable thing to be in, especially as we've talked about, if you didn't invite them into that. And I I want to uh, be a, put in another uh, comment and another maybe check in the category of sometimes it's best to let things roll off. You know, we are very clear on the show. We sometimes you've got to set a boundary. You've got to be clear. You've got to use your words. You've got to look someone in the eye. And to go to, to Lee's point about when someone just wants attention and a lot of times people who kind of declare that they, you know, they, they do the, uh, the middle-aged white guy thing of you, you, you can imagine at home the stance I'm doing with the hands at the hips and the kind of sidling up to someone working on something, you know, working on a project here. I like a, I like a nice hex head bolt myself. Would have used to five eighths personally. <laughs> exactly. That can be as these guys have pointed out, just a way to get attention. And here's the thing, if, and we don't know the situation, but if this is someone who likes attention, who might want a little drama, then any response on your point is going to be feeding that. Uh, in like therapy stuff, sometimes in like uh, dealing with uh, like toxic family or stuff, they talk about the gray rock strategy of just give the least stimulating response to anything you can. Right. Someone says, I know. So you're like, okay. Or eh, eh, thanks or whatever, whatever they're looking for, just don't give it to them. That's an important point of not feeding the trolls. And it is a great place to go back to because someone can troll positively because a trolling really does just mean poking someone to try to get a reaction. So you don't have to get into that to go with a new uh, phrase. We are going to get kickstarted around the world. You don't have to tango with jerks. It's your right (laughs) not (laughs) to do that. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge Chicago tumble.com slash ask if you want to keep that entirely anonymous. You can check out the Bridgecast every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time on Facebook.com slash Chicago. We are still in the midst of the Christmas season, and we enjoy celebrating the Christmas, especially musically, taking another cut from our Bridge Christmas album. This is Lee with a very cool version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, a great yeah. track. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast reminding you of these inspiring words from John Michael Osborne. Maybe it's not too late to learn how to love and forget how to hate. Mental wounds not healing. Life's a bitter shame. I'm going off the rails on a crazy train. (laughs) I 